Hello everyone, welcome back to episode 3 of Hunting History. I know it's been a while, so as a reminder, this is where we take a look at unusual and unique historical events. My name is Hunter, I'm your host. This is a long one, so let's go ahead and dive into it. Today we're looking at the events surrounding the mutiny on the HMS Bounty. The mutiny itself takes place on April 28th, 1789, but there's so much we have to talk about before we get there. First, the HMS Bounty was a ship in the British Royal Navy that was captained by a man named William Bly. He's kind of important to the story. So let's give some background on Mr. William Bly here. He served on the Navy ship during the Revolutionary War, where he got wrecked by the Americans. And after this defeat, the Royal Navy was reduced, and he ended up on land with little pay. He had to join merchant ships for $70 a year compared to $500 a year what he was getting with the Navy. First off, those numbers as yearly salaries are just nuts. Imagine making half a million dollars today, then the next year you make 70 k That'd be devastating. So finally, he gets another mission from the Navy, and it's to bring breadfruit plants aboard the HMS Bounty from Tahiti in the South Pacific Ocean all the way over to the British colonies in the Caribbean. Now, I won't go into why they wanted breadfruit plants there, because like everything the British were doing at the time, it wasn't the most moral of missions, you could say. But there are a few more important items uh, we have to note before we get too far into this story. First, because of the type of ship that the bounty was, there would be no Royal Marines on board to enforce the captain's authority. So that becomes important. It was a cutter, if that means anything to anyone. And also, they didn't make any changes to the ship to hold the breadfruit plants. They were just going to kind of put them everywhere, like, in the way of stuff. And it was going to take 10 months to get there. They are going to spend 5 months there before the 10-month journey back. So that's kind of a long time to be cramped on a boat with other people and on the way home when you're already tired with plants in your way. So they leave for this mission in October of 1787. Okay, now let's meet some of the men of HMS Bounty. We've already met the captain, William Bly. He was in charge of the 46 men on board, with 44 of them being in the Navy and the other two being the botanists to look after the breadfruit plants. Most of these men were under the age of 30, while Bly himself was 33. So there's just enough of an age difference for some potential awkwardness and issues. The second big player in our story was the 23-year-old Fletcher Christian. Fletch was Bly's pupil. Fletcher Christian plays a big part in this, so remember his name. And the last name that's important, but not until much, much later, is John Adams. But not President John Adams. It's a completely different dude. Anyway, the journey from England to the South Pacific was not an easy one at the time. This was almost 70 years before the Suez Canal was even built. Part 1 of the journey was sailed from England to Cape Horn at the southern tip of South America. That's not the way I would take, but I've never been an 18th century British Navy route planner, so what do I know? Maybe that was faster. However, when they did get there, the wind was so bad that they had to leave and sail all the way over to the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa, where they spent five weeks repairing the ship and getting supplies and whatnot. I feel like that's how they should have gone from the beginning, but once again, what do I know? So this stop in South Africa is where cracks start to form. During this leg of the journey, the men realized that Bly was a very strict captain. He's 
always on the men about their diet and their sanitation, and he loved enforcing his rules. Now, I know that these ships at the time weren't up to today's standards of cleanliness, but if they tried just a little bit harder to be clean and healthy, maybe so many sailors of the time wouldn't have died. So, I, I think I might be on Bly's side here. But anyway, for exercise, this one's good. He would make them get up on deck and dance, which it had to be hilarious to him. Imagine your typical 1790s British Navy sailors just dancing on deck in the middle of the ocean to no music or just like some guy in the corner playing on the flute. So Bly had to know what he was doing, and this couldn't have just been about exercise. The captain was getting a good laugh. And it also needs to be noted that Bly and Christian's relationship was still good, still a very healthy master-pupil relationship. Until we get on to part two of the trip. This part was from South Africa to Tasmania, just south of Australia. This part was more of the same. They had little trouble getting to Tasmania, and it only took them 52 days to get there. 52 days feels like a long time to me, but I guess it's not for the time. It was on Tasmania where the crew started to break and become more upset with Captain Bly. The carpenter on board was the first to have a real run-in with him when uh, Bly screamed at him for not cutting the wood right and took his rations. First off, taking a man's rations feels cruel and unusual and no way to get him to work harder. And second, what does Bly know about carpentry? This is how those cracks start to get just a little bit bigger when you could lose your food due to poor performance. Probably going to be looking around a little bit more. Now for part three, Tasmania to Tahiti. This is where it starts to get good. There's further clashes between the captain and the crew, like this one. So the uh, surgeon on board was a man named Thomas Huggin, and he was a drunk. Big time drunk, which is always what you want in your surgeon. He ended up killing a sailor by bloodletting, which is where they let the leeches suck out the uh, bad blood. The only problem with this was the sailor had asthma. So, not a great doctor to treat asthma by sucking all your blood out. He covers, he covers it up by saying that the sailor died of scurvy. And rightfully so, this scares Bly. And he makes the whole crew do his own scurvy remedies. <laughs> and he also takes all of Huggins' alcohol, which probably was a good call. Huggins eventually dies shortly after they get to Tahiti and did not last very long. So, speaking of Tahiti... They eventually get there on October 26, 1788, after one year at sea and 27,086 nautical miles. Once they made landfall, the Tahitians greeted them warmly and were more than happy to give them some of their plants. Being that it was a nice tropical island and all they had to do was pick up a couple plants and repair the ship, while they were on Tahiti for the five months, their crew duties were very light. And because of this, the crew started... Well, let's just call it hanging out with the local Tahitian woman. <laughs> Eighteen of the men, not including Captain Bly, but including our buddy Fletcher Christian, were treated for STDs. Fletch got really close with one of the women and was very much in love. Bly became very upset with his men. Because of all of this, it made them slack off at their jobs. He would regularly yell and beat them in front of the Tahitians. Christian was a regular target of the captain's rage. It got so bad that three of the men tried to desert, but they only made it three weeks before they were caught and punished by being flogged. Luckily for anybody currently in the Navy, I don't think you can get flogged as a punishment anymore, so you should be good there. 
However, like all good vacations, you have to go home sometime. Once the work was done and they had to leave, Bly didn't realize how hard it was for the men to actually leave this island paradise. But eventually they did, and Bly took his unhappy crew with all the breadfruit plants back into the open ocean in early April of 1789. Classic vacation blues and all. But for whatever reason, Bly was beginning to become more and more paranoid of something. He'd frequently get angry with the crew. Christian was still a usual target, and this is where the crack be between them got quite large. So they had to make a stop on Tonga, which is between Tahiti and Australia for water and other supplies for the long journey back. And just a side note, if I mispronounce any of these island names, I apologize. The only problem with this stop was that the islanders on Tonga were not friendly at all, which I don't blame them for. I probably wouldn't be friendly either if a British Navy ship showed up at my house and tried to take all of my things. And of course, the man in charge of getting the water for the way back home was Fletcher Christian. He did not do this, mainly because the islanders were unfriendly. And for whatever reason, Bly gave him guns to use, but he didn't give him any ammo for the guns. And for all you non-gun folk out there, they're kind of useless without the ammo. I guess he could have used it as like a stick to hit things with, I guess, but it's pretty much useless. So our buddy Fletch was harassed by the natives and wasn't able to get much water and returned to a firm cuss out by Bly. Bly also blamed Christian for the natives stealing one of their anchors, because somehow that's his fault, and for some missing coconuts that were supposed to be in the captain's quarters, which he probably just ate and forgot about. <laughs> in my opinion, Bly, at this point, deserved to have his coconuts taken. But mad about the coconuts, and the anchor, and the low water, and already being a hothead, Bly decides to cut the men's rations in half and take away their rum. Because what's the best way to get angry men to work harder for you? You guessed it, take half of their food and all of their rum, because that's never caused problems before, has it? This put Fletcher Christian in a very dark place and had him contemplating about deserting, but some of the other guys told him that they had his back. Okay, finally it's time. Fletcher, after rolling around in his bed all night, decided he was going to fight back. April 28th, 1789. It's 5.15 in the morning. Christian rounds up some of his buddies and grabs guns, presumably with ammo, and heads for Bly's room. They grab Captain Bly and tie him up at gunpoint. He's yelling and screaming for somebody to do something and complete chaos breaks out on the boat. Eventually, all of the neutral sailors look on as Christian and his men have Bly and 18 of the men loyal to him rounded up. They put those 19 into one of the bounty's boats that only holds 10 people. They give him food and water for five days and some tools and a compass. Then they just send him off into the open ocean. Alright, let's break this down. The initial execution of the mutiny was flawless. They got to the guns first, they had the element of surprise by striking early in the morning, and you know, just once, Bly had to say, the one time you get up before noon and this is what you choose to do, like he's an angry dad. But then they start to get sloppy. They don't put a gag on Bly so he's able to cause some chaos and give orders to his supporters. And then their biggest mistake of the mutiny is giving the veteran Navy captain food, water, tools, and a compass. They had to know it wasn't the best idea, and part of me believes that they didn't actually want to do this. Because if you're going to overthrow a guy, you have to make sure he can't come back. You especially can't hand that guy the tools to come back. 
So we'll, we'll see how this goes for our mutineers. But this is where our story breaks into multiple timelines, so I'll try to keep the date straight to help you keep everything straight. So let's start with Bly and the men floating around in the ocean. Once they get their bearings, they decide to head towards the island of Tofua because they could see smoke rising up from the native islanders. But the only problem was that mean there were native islanders that also were aggressive and did not want them there. Like these, these guys had to be terrible house guests because every island they stopped at kicked them out. So as they were trying to leave Tofua, the natives attacked their boat, and one of Bly's men jumped out to try to free the boat, but he succeeded in freeing the boat. However, he was stoned to death by the islanders. So, not quite a win. They finally decide maybe not to mess with any more native islanders and head for a Dutch settlement in Timor. Now, they had food and water for five days, but as you can imagine, it took way longer than five days. So this is what the rations were. One ounce of bread and five ounces of water a day. A day. Five ounces of water is like two sips and an ounce of bread is a bite. The rations were a bite of bread and two swigs of water a day. That had to be miserable with that little food and water. Oh yeah, the weather was also real stormy because every good issue needs another issue. So on May 28th, one month after the mutiny took place, they stopped on Restoration Island in Australia where they were able to find oysters and berries and whatnot. I'm sure at this point they would have eaten literally anything that looked edible. So finally, on June 14th, they make it to Timor after nearly two months in a crowded boat on the open ocean. The trip, as we'll call it, was obviously not an easy one, and all the men had large tempers, and rightfully so. They ended up staying in what's now modern-day Jakarta, as they waited for a ship that was headed back for England. Bly eventually makes his return back to England to tell them about the mutiny in March of 1790, 11 months after the mutiny. Now a lot happened in the South Pacific in those 11 months. Let's go over the timeline of the bounty with Fletcher Christian in charge. The first thing they do is divide up all the stuff from the dudes they just sent off into the ocean. Next, they toss all the breadfruit plants into the water because they're in the way and they're not going to make it to the Caribbean anyway. Now, they know that eventually people are going to come looking for him, even if Bly doesn't make it back because the bounty is a navy ship and they're going to notice when that never comes back. They head for Tubuai, which is 400 miles south of Tahiti. They can't go back to Tahiti because that's the first place somebody's going to look for him. They make it to Tubuai on May 28th, the same day that Bly made it to Restoration. I bet you can guess if these natives on Tubuai were hostile or not. They were. However, our buddy Fletch was now in charge of the ammo, and he ended up shooting 12 of the native islanders before the rest of them fled. They decided to stay on the island and tried to set up a permanent settlement. But for that to happen, they needed labor and women. So, to get labor and women, they go back to their favorite island of Tahiti on June 6th. Christian goes to the chief of Tahiti and tells him that they're setting up a sanctioned settlement and needs people for it. The chief believes this lie, because why would he expect a lie, and lets Christian take goods, livestock, and 30 Tahitian men and women back with him. He leaves with his people led by deception on June 16th, two days after Bly had made it to Timor, so now his clock is ticking. 
back in Tubuai, the men start building a fort with a moat around it for whatever reason. Uh, they're having constant clashes with the native islanders who do not want them there. One of these battles ends up killing 66 of the islanders. So Christian realized that he's losing power over his men and the situation is getting out of control. Instead of being the victim of his own mutiny, he gives all the men a vote. You can either go back to Tahiti where it's safe, but they'll most likely catch you, or try again on another island. Christian knew that after his deception of the Tahitian chief and him starting the mutiny, he couldn't ever return to Tahiti. Sixteen of the men did decide to risk it by going back to Tahiti, and eight men decided to go to another island with Christian. Sa safety in numbers was not a thing with these guys. The bounty with all the crew and the Tahitians they lied to made it back to Tahiti on September 22nd, and the Tahitian chief was very mad because he had learned about Christian's deceit. Fletch uh, stayed on the boat for this visit. And what do you do when you fear for your life and are about to hide on an island? That's right, you have a party on the boat. The other nine stayed and had a party on the boat with some of the Tahitians, most of those Tahitians being women, because apparently even in the 1700s, women couldn't resist a guy with a boat. Now this next part's bad. They just leave with them on the boat, straight up kidnap these people. <laughs> and two of the kidnapped are elderly ladies that won't be useful in starting a new settlement, so they just drop them off on some island that isn't their home island. That's terrible. So now on the bounty, looking for an island to live on is the nine mutineers, including Fletcher Christian, six Tahitian men, and 14 Tahitian women. That's 15 dudes and 14 girls. You can tell where that's going to go. But we'll get back to them eventually. So, the 16 mutineers on Tahiti still begin to live normal lives as islanders on Tahiti. They build boats and learn the language. Rather quickly, however, 16 becomes 14, when two of them become huge drunks after learning how to distill local fruits and they kill each other. So let's jump from September of 89 when they all split up to March of 90 when Bly returns to England. Now that he's back in England, word begins to spread of the mutiny. The Royal Navy sends the HMS Pandora, captained by Edward Edwards, what a name, to go find all the mutineers. The HMS Pandora makes it to Tahiti without a mutiny on March 20. 1791, almost two years after the mutiny actually happened. They end up finding the 14 guys on Tahiti only a couple days after getting there. It was probably real easy to find them. They were the only white dudes on a small island. They do, however, stay for five weeks trying to get info on where the bounty left to. Captain Edwards comes up mostly empty, and after a little over a month, they sail off in May to look for the other nine. They check South Pacific Islands looking for these guys until August. Do you know how many random inhabited or uninhabited islands are in the South Pacific? According to Google, around 30,000. You aren't going to find these guys, and Edward Edwards never did. He did, however, sail right past the island they were on, but didn't stop, because of course he did. So they turn and head for home. But, on the way home, they run into the Great Barrier Reef. Not like they have to navigate through it or around it, they literally hit it and it sinks the HMS Pandora. The 14 mutineers were prisoners, so they were shackled down below deck, and only 10 of the 14 survived the sinking. The 10 and the rest of the Pandora crew jump on a lifeboat and eventually make it back to civilization. 
They begin the long journey back to England, being transferred from one boat to another and stand trial for the mutiny. Bly, however, would not be at the trial because he was already assigned to another boat to go get the breadfruit plants like he was supposed to. At the court-martial, of the ten, four of them were acquitted of any wrongdoing, three of them were found guilty but pardoned by the king, and the other three were found guilty and hung for it. Now, Bly didn't come out clean in all this. He had his own hearing where he was reprimanded for losing his ship. As he should. You can't lose your ship. If you remember, though, there's still nine guys hanging out there living up the island fugitive life. Fletcher Christian and his men, and the kidnapped Tahitians, decide to settle on Pitcairn Island east of Tahiti because they realized it was marked wrong on the maps. This was January of 1790. Bly hadn't even made it back to England yet. When they get on Pitcairn, they make their bed and they burn the bounty. They can't leave, but no one can see the boat. Now, as we clearly know, the native islanders did not want these guys on their island. Finally, however, they picked an island with no one on it. They could have started all of this so much sooner if they just picked one of the thousands of empty islands from the beginning. Also, Pekarin had plenty of food for them and some land to plant and build on. Now that they have their posh island lifestyle, the men of Bounty began to reproduce and marry with the Tahitian women. Now, I use the word marry lightly because there was quite a bit of passing around going on to uh, start the settlement. The six Tahitian men did not like this very much and began fighting with the Bounty men. The fighting between the groups got worse and five of the nine of the men of Bounty had been killed this included our buddy Fletcher Christian, and his story comes to an end here. But not ours, because the remaining four mutineers and the nine women had killed all six of the Tahitian men by 1794. Still haven't been found yet. So now it's the four men and the nine women and a various amount of kids, including one of Christian's kids, on this island. Of the four men, one became a drunk and killed himself seems to be a theme with these guys. One became psychotic and tried to kill people, so the other two murdered him first. Now they were down to two. The next guy died of asthma in 1800, and the last one was John Adams. I told you he'd come up later. Adams successfully started and led the colony. He looked after the nine women, and he helped educate the children of this new settlement. I'm also positive he quite enjoyed being the only man stuck on an island with nine women. They don't get found by anybody until they're found by an American whaling ship in 1808. That's 18 years they've been on this island, and 8 years with just John Adams leading it. There's kids that are born on Pitcairn that are now close to 18 years old. The whalers just find a community of people led by Adams with no visible issues. No reason to say anything. It takes the British Navy until 1814 to find Pitcairn Island. When they get there, they find John Adams leading a colony of now 46 people. They realize what's going on, and Adams is pardoned for his part of the mutiny. Because at this point, who cares, and there's people relying on this guy. Also, they can now claim this as a British territory, and the British loved doing that. Adams dies in 1829 after leading the colony for 39 years, ending the story for our bounty mutineers. But what about Captain Bly? He successfully completes his breadfruit mission, before becoming the governor of New South Wales in Australia. But, as governor, he prevented liquor from coming in, and this, of course, started another mutiny. 
This time they arrested him and sent him back to England in 1810. The dude should just maybe not have been given a leadership position over anything anymore. After two mutinies, the Navy promotes him to Admiral because of course. He stays in England until he dies in 1817. He outlived all of his original mutineers except John Adams. So what happens to Adams' settlement on Pitcairn Island after he dies in 1829? Well, in 1831, they were moved back to Tahiti, but actually moved back to Pitcairn shortly after. By 1855, the colony was up to 200 people and was running out of room, so they moved to Norfolk Island. After two years there, 17 people moved back to Pitcairn with some more following after that. The island must have had some kind of magical pull to it. As of 2011, there were 67 people on Pitcairn Island, with almost all of them being able to trace their lineage back to one of the bounty mutineers. And on Norfolk Island, as of 2011, there were around 2,000 people living there, with about half of them being descendants of the men of Bounty. So, just a quick recap. The British Navy wanted to move plants across the globe, a short-tempered captain was put in charge. The crew fell in love with some island ladies and a relaxed way of life. They had a mutiny. Half of them were caught. The other half got their island paradise. And that's our story. Thanks to everybody who listened to this episode of Hunting History. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at, at @huntinghistorypod and on Twitter or X, I guess now, at @hhistorypodcast. If you have an idea for a historical event, DM it to us on there. So, my name is Hunter, and until our next unusual and unique historical event, goodbye.